Good morning. How's everybody doing out there today? Awesome, awesome. Good to hear. Uh, for those that are new to our church, my name is Ron Mueller. I'm an elder here at Freedom. And in the summertime, Pat, when Pastor Frank takes a, a little break, uh, he usually gives us elders a little chance to speak up here. And as usual, during sermon week, as the other elders can attest, all kinds of trials pop up during the week, trying to you know, divert our attention from our study and stuff. In the past, I've had my AC go out the night before. Our waterbed popped one night before a sermon. Yeah, we were stuck in the 80s. I finally got my wife to get rid of that thing. Lava lamps next. No, we, just kidding, we don't have a lava lamp. Um, but anyway, uh, I've had the pages of my sermon blow off of the podium at a sermon we did outside at Sable Street one time. So I've had all kinds of crazy stuff start. This week was no different, of course. As you can kind of probably hear it in my voice, I'm recovering from a, a, a little sickness that I had. And of, of course, that, you know, prayers and nothing else crazy happens. Um, I remember one time, we uh, stuff started dropping off the ceilings in here. So um, I just looked out. I should have probably issued hard hats for everybody. Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> a little bit about myself. My wife, uh, Christine, um, who teaches Bible study from time to time, the women's Bible study, and works at the table, um, and I have been coming to Freedom since about 2005. Um, I was saved in this church in early 2006, and it's been my church ever since. Um, we have two older children, my daughter Kirsten, um, who just graduated from the University of South Florida with her master's in education. She lives in Tampa. And we have two, uh, and my son JR, who lives in Kansas now from his stint in the Air Force, who his wife is still in the Air Force, um, and our grandson Gideon. I know, I know, I look way too young to be a grandfather. I know, I know. And, uh, you know, actually, a couple weeks ago, my daughter told me that one of her friends said, you know, your dad looks way too young to be your dad. I know, pride before the fall. <laughs> but anyway, um, my wife, of course, uh, you know, constantly reminds me that I'm older than her and I'm robbing the cradle. And that's, that's probably true, looking at her. Um, I'll get inside. You know, it's great being a grandparent. Um, we fly out to Kansas all the time whenever we get a chance. And, you know, for you that have grandchildren, you can attest. It's so good because no responsibility, all spoiling and doing whatever you want. And then when you're tired, here you go, Mom and Dad and then we can walk away. Nice, it's a, it's a very nice deal. Um, anyhow, I bring up my grandson Gideon um, because he was named after Gideon in the Bible. In fact, Gideon is one of my son's favorite Bible men. Uh, and so he even got a tattoo done on his arm. Of course, everybody's in tattoos nowadays. Got a tattoo on his arm that illustrates the battle between Gideon and the Midianites. So that tells you kind of a little bit about his love for Gideon. Um, Gideon can be summed up, uh, his life can be summed up as humble, 
um, full of faith and obedient, hence today's uh, sermon title. Gideon uh, is mentioned amongst the great men and women of faith that has been coined the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Um, Gideon was a judge and is considered to be, you know, considered widely as being the greatest judge in the Bible. Um, if you're not familiar with what a judge is, a judge in the Old Testament was a man or woman that was raised up from God to relieve Israel from oppression from surrounding nations and also bring back proper worship into the, the Israelites. And of course, it was a sin of the Israelites that really caused the oppression in the first place. Um, they worship other gods or they wouldn't be obedient to God's word. And so they'd, you know, they'd, they'd finally break down, get rock bottom, cry out, Lord, help us, and God would raise up, up a, a judge, and then the judge would come and believe them. So what I'd like us to do is, is go ahead and kind of set the stage in Judges 6, verse 1. So I'm going to read it to you. The people of Israel did what, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens, the dens and are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whatever the, the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land and as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and you gave, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice. So we see here the oppression of the Midianites due to their sin of worshiping other gods. And really, God is using the Midianites as an instrument of discipline to, to get them back on track. You know, God loves his people, um, but they've strayed away, not only from worshiping other gods, but they're also adopting other cultures around them, which did all kinds of evil things. The cultures that were surrounding the, at that time were very barbaric. Um, they even sacrificed their own children to their pagan gods to kind of give you a kind of an illustration of some of the evil that goes on. And God pre-warned them of this while they were in the wilderness um, prior to entering the promised land. In fact, in Deuteronomy, we read in verse 20, not for, uh, chapter 12, verse 29, when the Lord your God cuts off before the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire their, about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same? 
You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that Lord hates they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire for their gods. God's discipline may seem harsh, um, but it's really the only way to really save them from themselves when you look at it. Um, and that is a lesson for us as well. You know, when we start to drift from God and get entangled in sin, and many times, you know, we need the Lord's discipline to get us back on track. And so we really, it's really for our own good, and we should really embrace that. Proverbs 3, verse 11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Being in God's discipline, the Israelites called out and God listened. Seeing that their hearts were repentant, he raised up Gideon to deliver them. So let's get into this story about Gideon. So I'm not going to highlight, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to highlight through it. It would be quite long. But I challenge each of you to go home this week, read Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, and get the whole account for yourself. There's other nuggets that I didn't even touch on in here. In fact, you could do a lot of sermons on this one story. Um, So there's a lot there. The main point that I would like for us to get out of this story today is through faith, God can use the unlikely to do great things for his kingdom. And from that, there are four learning objectives I'd like us to look at. Number one, learn to trust God, especially when you feel weak and inadequate. Number two, take unpopular but godly stands in your life. Number three, seek God when your faith wavers. Number four, God requires us to go out on faith even when we don't understand his plan. So let's begin with number one, learn to trust God, especially when you feel weak and inadequate. So going to verse 11, Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Bezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Wow, Gideon's hiding in a, in a wheat press right now, because, I mean, in a wine press right now to beat out wheat because he doesn't want the Midianites to, to raid all his work. But while he's hiding there, God approaches him and says, and calls him, oh, mighty man of valor. You know, and Gideon hasn't really done anything yet. You know, and so when you kind of look at it, you, you're wondering, well, why does he do that? Well, I think God he looks at us and he knows the good works that he has for us. So even before he approaches us, he knows that he's, he's going to be this mighty man of valor. So he calls him that preemptively. Do you, get, do you realize that God sees us that same way? Every one of us that are believers in Christ have that same thing. God knows the good works that he, he appointed to us beforehand. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that cool? You know, he he prepared these works beforehand. Um, So when you're feeling inadequate, remember that God created you for good works in Christ Jesus. Let's read on, verses uh, 13. 
And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds from our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Midian, do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You know, here's Gideon explaining all his weaknesses, all his inaccuracies, why he can't do this thing that God is telling him to do. You know, um, and Gideon's right. He is from the smallest tribe. He is from the smallest clan. He is the youngest. He is probably the most unlikely. But you want to know what? That's by God's design. God loves to use the weak and unlikely and the ordinary to do great things for his name. Why? Because it brings glory to him, right? Um, So, uh, and and that's a constant theme throughout the Bible. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, many of us in here are a lot like Gideon. You know, God puts on our hearts, wants us to do great things for him, but we feel inadequate. We don't, we don't feel that we can perform the things that God may want us to do. And, you know, you know, you may feel like, I just don't have enough Bible knowledge. I just don't have enough wisdom to do those things. But you know what? If you're in Christ, you're more than equipped to do his work. God chose you to do his work. And it's really going to be through his power so that he gets the glory, not us. And I know that can be frightful. I know it's way out of our comfort zone. Um, And there's fear, fear of failure, fear of all kinds of things, fear of making a commitment. But, you know, if we just do those things for him. I mean, look at me here preaching a sermon. If 16 years ago you would have said Ron Mueller was going to be up on stage here preaching to the, uh, the co- entire congregation. I mean, think about it. Think about yourself out there, you, what you would feel like if you were up here right now. You know what I mean? That's how I felt. And that's, that's amazing in itself. And I didn't go to Bible college, okay? I didn't, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't know anything about the Bible when I became saved. Um, I wasn't even raised in the church. My teenage years, my 20s and into my 30s was one big party. That's all it was. Okay? So I am the highly unlikely up here preaching from God's word. When I look back, there was a moment early in my Christian walk 
when I was out at Sable Street, and I remember the calling every week. We need someone to run the visuals on the screen. We need somebody to run the visuals on the screen. Uh, one of the old elders that we hear, Mark Knox, he's always calling it out. And God was tugging on my heart, and he kept saying, God, you know, Ron, you can do this. You can do this. No, I didn't want to do it. I love sneaking in here and sneaking right back out. Probably like a lot of you out there right now. I love doing that. But God called me out of my shell, and I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And, you know, that was the start of great things. It was one thing after another after that. And, you know, it might seem like a little thing, but, man, it exploded into a huge thing. God used it in powerful ways, and, and he gets all the glory. And, and it's, it's just a thing. And I challenge you, each of you, take that leap of faith. What do you think God is calling you to? What is God saying to your heart? You know, the church needs all kinds of people. Uh, our children's church right now is exploding. Okay, I work in there part-time, and there's just tons of kids. And the fall, they are going to be trying to start a whole nother class, and they're going to need even more people. So if that's on your heart, man, make that step. You know, they're not going to call you up there and make you teach a Bible verse, but baby steps, get in there, learn, how does this thing go, serve, um, be arm in arm with other Christians, it's really cool. Our sound and video visual ministry is always looking for help, always calling for help, and you know, you might think, oh, that's a scary thing, what if I mess up? Oh, just take that leap of faith, know that God is going to have your back on it, he's going to take care of you, you're going to learn it, and it's going to be something you can do. Uh, people working, willing to work in hospitality. Uh, we need greeters. We need front table people. We need, you just, the list goes on, you know. And, it, you know, all you got to do is make that leap of faith. And then, man, God can use you in powerful ways. Trust me. Here's a quote from George Muller, a 19th century Christian evangelist. Um, he said that faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Wow, I love that. Faith begins where man's power ends. And George Muller, he knew something about this. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about George Muller. He cared, in his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans and provided education for them. He established 117 schools that provided a Christian education for over 120,000. Wow. You don't think George Muller was a little nervous, a little anxious with what God wanted him to do? Believe me, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some sleepless nights. There was a lot of going out on faith. And, and just doing what God asked. And so, you know, it's just so important. Just remember that where our power ends, that's where God picks up. Um, se second, take unpopular but godly stands in your life. Let's read in Judges 6, verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bowl and the second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. 
and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar bell was broken down, and the asher beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Drubbable, that is to say, let Baal, Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Can you imagine? Here's Gideon. He rips down the entire community's central worship. Then he goes in and has a gall to go take his dad's bowls, sticks them on the altar, and sacrifices them. I bet you when his dad woke up that morning, he said, man, this is just bull. A little bit of dad humor there for my daughter-in-law, Kim, who is constantly bombarding me with these dad jokes all the time. Anyway, um, Actually, this was really faith in action. He isn't, you know, he went against the grain to, to do the right thing. And I think here, when I think about it, you know, really had to get the worship right before anything else could happen. They had to establish the worship, okay? Before, you know, we can strengthen faith, before we go out and, um, uh, you know, um, go against the Midianites, before we do any of that, the worship had to get right. You know, it's hard to have great faith when we're not worshiping correctly, you know? We need to come to church, as you guys are all here today, regularly, every Sunday. That's, that's a big part of it. But don't stop there. Really, worship happens all week long, every day. You need to be in the Word, Monday through Sunday, on our own, studying it, um, searching it like it's hidden treasure. We need to be in prayer, talking to God every morning, every night, and te- you know, asking him to help us with our faith. And once we get that right, then we can start stand up and start doing things that are against the grain, against the society, okay? Um, we see the craziness in our world right now. I mean, look at it. You know, it's just going crazy. And the chasm between what God thinks is righteous and what man thinks is righteous just gets further and further and further apart. And, you know, even churches are redefining themselves. Churches that should be preaching the word are redefining themselves to align themselves with society and not God. And the Bible predicted this. 2 Timothy 4.1 says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, Gideon showed us that we need to first get the, the worship right, and then we can stand up against the green of society. Now, townspeople, definitely not happy with him at all. In fact, they want his life. Um, but his dad stood up and said, you know, hey, if Baal is really a god, he can defend himself, you know. So let that happen. And so that's where Gideon gets this cool nickname of Jerubbabel, you know, because his character kind of aligned with God's. And you think about this nickname, it kind of made him a, a marked man amongst the community, but it was a nickname that he could be proud of. You know, wouldn't it be cool if we got nicknames that kind of said how our character and our integrity aligned with God? I think so. I think it would be really cool. Um, moving on to the next learning objective. Uh, number three, seek God when your faith wavers. Going in Judges 6, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Here we see, we see Gideon display a little doubt. His faith seems a little bit wavering. You know, he's actually questioning the words that God had told him. And you know what? God doesn't really seem angry here. I mean, it doesn't say anything about God being angry that he's actually questioning it. Um, in fact, God obliges him and does it. Um, and I think God really does know Gideon's heart that he does have solid faith. But he also understands that he's a human like all of us. We live in these fleshly bodies and seeds of doubt come in all the time. And, and that's what we, a lot of us struggle, struggle with. By the raise of our hand, who struggles with doubt time to time? I know I do. I definitely do. I, it comes in my, my mind. And so I think it can be a good thing for us to ask God to help us with our faith. Um, there's a great story about asking God to build faith in uh, the New Testament. It's about a man whose son was possessed by a demon, and a man brought the boy to Jesus to be healed. So let's look at Mark 9, verse 21. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire and in water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, 
All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked an unclean spirit, saying to it, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I love that statement. I believe, help my unbelief. You know, our minds cause doubt. We have the tendency to put more reliance on the physical world around us. Um, we, our experiences totally, you know, help with that doubt. Um, we worry about finances. What makes sense from a business standpoint? You know, what is popular decision? You know, all these things, they just cloud us. We just get so entangled by the world, we can just hardly let God work through us. And, it, and it's really hard. Um, but, you know, we need to seek God when our faith begins to waver, when those doubt, that doubt comes in. You know, that's the first thing we should do. And in a way, Gideon really did that here, and he obliged him. You know, um, he provided that, that method to kind of strengthen Gideon's faith. You know, and when we do that and we can actually ask God to strengthen our faith and our faith starts to strengthen, what happens? Then we start to be able to face things that are bigger than us, things that are circumstances that are bigger than us. Uh, we can take leaps of faith. We can do those things. And as you will see um, next, that Gideon is going to be required to have rock-solid faith for what God's about to ask him to do. And so it was very important. It was a big part of why he does what he does next, which leads to our final learning objective. For God requires us to go out on faith even when we don't understand his plans. You know, many times we can't see God's plans. Um, I'd say most of the time we can't see what God's plans are. Um, and, you know, we see a move in our lives. I mean, you guys are probably thinking of circumstances right now, of times when you saw God move and was going in a certain direction. And, you know, when, when we look at that, it's like, all right, we know that he's going in this direction but we're still fearful of taking that step, that next step that we know that God will probably back us up and we can go out on faith and do. Um, but, it's, but it's difficult, you know? Um, and we have to understand that a lot of times his plans are not gonna make worldly sense. They're just not. And from this next verses, you're gonna see that God had a plan to free the Israelites of the Midianites, and it was a very unlikely plan. And in fact, any military leader would laugh at this plan. But God gets the last laugh. So let's read Judges chapter 7. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the, early, in the ears of the people, saying, 
Whoever is fear and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Wow. Can you imagine what Gideon's thinking right now? You know, here is this huge army. You know, if we look in chapter 8, it's about 135,000 soldiers. And God says, you're only going to have 300 men to go into this battle. Man, he had to have some really serious faith for this. And you know, and that faith didn't mean that Gideon didn't have fear. Because he did. He had fear. In fact, God knows it. And as we'll read on here, we'll find that even God provides for that fear. So let's read on here. Verse 9. That night, same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, go down. Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall not, and you shall hear what they say. And after your hands shall be strengthened to go against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, and the sand that was on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it, so that it fell and turned into turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them in empty jars, with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord said, Every man sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethsheda, men of, uh, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abba, Mahola, by Tabith, and the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all of Manasseh. They pursued after Midian. An unlikely army with an unlikely leader accomplished the seemingly impossible. You know, this is a battle tactic that really led to not one hair on an Israelite's head to come to harm. You know, when you think about it. In fact, all the Midianites were destroyed, including all their leaders, as you would read on in, in the rest of it. It was really perfection. And you can see this throughout the Bible of different battles God has fought for different uh, causes. And I really like how God used the torches inside the clay jars. Um, you know, think of the clay jar as a picture of us. You know, clay jars made out of the earth like we are. Clay jar has no power in itself. Clay jar is fragile. Okay? Um, it really is a picture of us. And then when you look at the torches, torches really represent the power of God that's inside us, you know? Um, you know, a lot of times we have to humble ourselves, though. We have to, those jars have to become broken for that light to shine. And so, you know, 2 Corinthians says this in chapter 4. For God who said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Wow, that's powerful, you know, when you look at it. Um, here's a quote from gotquestions.org. It says, as God uses broken and imperfect people, we can also be encouraged that God can use us to accomplish important things and that when we use the tools he provides, the power is not his own, are not our own, but his. We're simply earthen vessels, jars of clay. The treasure is God's gift inside. It's hard to do sometimes, but we need to remember that God's power is inside of all of us who believe. Remembering that can go a long way with helping us to take leaps of faith. Um, Gideon's life was full of humility, faith, and obedience, but he wasn't perfect. He was a man and who by faith really did great things for God through God's power. Ask yourself the question, you know, do I want to do something great for God? If you do and you're ready to engage your faith, as Gideon did, you must, must realize that, that you may not really understand God's plan. You may, uh, what you're doing may not make much sense to you or others around you. But you will see God do the seemingly impossible. You know, and wouldn't that be worth it to see God do the impossible? Like I said before, you know, you're looking at a miracle up here. So with that said, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you, Lord, and give you praise and thanks for your grace, 
and your mercy and just your word who provides great men like this to be examples for us to follow, to help us to build our faith and to be um, used by you in great and powerful ways. I pray that this, the words that were spoken here were from you. I pray that this, the, your word would permeate the hearts in our congregation, that you would raise up men and women to do great things for you. And I just thank you for the men and women that are already doing things for you. Thank you. And I just ask that you would continue to build their faith as well. Lord, I just pray that you would bless um, these people as they go back out this week and just encourage them with your word. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.